welcome to the Beautiful Life Podcast. This message is by Nigel Desmond. Um, when I was thinking about today, I was just, I, the Lord gave me this, this phrase, becoming the dwelling place of God. And um, you can actually um, find it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, um, where it says, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints, uh, fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building is fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And it just... I had just been really thinking about this subject. Actually, funny enough, uh, my father-in-law, Nolan, came up to me this morning and he was saying, he was writing down how um, in the New Testament it says that we are the sanctuary of God. And you said there was 17 times in the New Testament. So 17 times in the New Testament, there's this phrase that we are the, the sanctuary of God. And if you think about that, that is an incredible promise. So much of the Bible we often take and we put it off into symbolic language or just religious language. And we don't actually think about this idea that God has promised us that we're being built together into the sanctuary of God. That God's literally, I, I love the, the term here, that we are the dwelling of God. It's the place where God uh, stays, He dwells, He lives. His home. His home. And, and if, you, if you think about that, it means then that wherever you go... God goes, and it means you are a walking encounter with God. That when people meet you, inside of you, your spirit, inside of you, there's the, uh, the Lord's coming. I, uh, this week, my testimony that I shared with our group, uh, Debbie and I were out at um, Seattle at Seapoint. Uh, and um, while, we, uh, while we were there, the Lord gave me a prophetic word for a lady on the other side of the restaurant. And uh, I plucked up my courage, went over to her, and, uh, you know, I clarified I was with my wife, so she didn't think I was trying to pick her up. And I uh, said, you know, sometimes when I go into a place, um, God will give me um, something for someone in a, re- uh, in a, you know, in a restaurant. Would you be interested in hearing what I have for you? And she was like, well, this is pretty wild, but okay. And I shared a word with her, and um, it, everything I said just landed just directly into her life. And her you know, eyes started well up with tears, and I said, you know, I said, listen, I know this is a little awkward. She said, no, this isn't awkward. This is wild. Nothing like this has ever happened to me. And it turned out she was Jewish. She'd grown up Jewish. She um, was, uh, she said, I wouldn't claim to be religious, but I am spiritual. And I have an awareness of God because of my, my childhood. And so I said, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And I had an opportunity to share Jesus with her. And her name was Jessica, which was an extra bonus. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm just hugging people. As, uh, yeah, uh, Trudy. Trudy. I mean, Trudy is a walking encounter with uh, people as well. Uh, she's been hugging people this week and making them cry. And Trudy Booty hugged the people and made them cry. You know, <laughs> you know, and um, like Georgie, you know. And you know, the, the most the most amazing thing is is we have this enormous privilege. We have this incredible privilege if we will take it seriously. That we are the tabernacle of God. You see, so often what we do 
is we, we take that and we shift that into a symbolic realm. We say, okay, we are the dwelling place of God, and at most, we try to be as nice as God with people. Do you know what I mean? So we, we try to be good Christians and say, you know, we try to represent Him well. But the Lord's not actually in this place speaking about us being good Christians and representing Him well. And in the sense of we have a good moral code or we behave well. What He's actually saying is that when you give your life to Him, He's going to come and live inside of you. Now that's an incredible concept. It means that wherever you go, there is the potential for the miraculous to break out around, uh, around your life. There is the potential for someone to have an encounter with God that will mark them for the rest of their life. And this is what we call to. We call to live this supernatural, miraculous adventure on a daily basis. But unfortunately, what we do often is we dumb that down and we retreat from what is an exciting inheritance that God has for us. You know, I, I also look at this and I remember for many years as a pastor, we would pray for a visitation of God in our church. And we'd say, oh Lord, that you would come and visit. And, and you know, we wanted, we wanted a real visitation of the Holy Spirit. And it was only later that I began to realize that God is not looking for a visitation with His church. He wants to come and dwell in His church. He's not like an, uh, an alienated, divorced parent who wants visitation with his children on the weekends. He wants to live with his, uh, his children. And he wants to move inside of you and live ins uh, inside of you. When Jesus was on the earth, he modeled what that would look like. So turn with me in your Bible. Matthew 4 verse 23 and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness amongst the people news about him spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all who were, uh, all who were ill those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics paralytics and he, he, he healed them um, you know so Jesus came, when Jesus came, wherever he went, you'd see these kinds of signs and wonders um, happen. Now, people often say, well, that was Jesus. No, but you need to understand, biblically, he said, he's going to come and live inside of you. So where you go, the Lord is going inside of you, and he hasn't changed. Jesus hasn't changed his basic nature. He still hates it when people are uh, suffering various diseases and pains that there are de uh, demonides, epilepsy, paralytics. He still desires to heal. That's his basic nature. And if you, if you don't believe me, turn with me to Matthew 10, verse 5 to 8, and you'll see it wasn't just Jesus. Matthew 10, verse 5 says this. These, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing him, do not, go out, do not go the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely, uh, freely give. And so the, uh, the disciples went out preaching the same message and using the same methodology as Jesus had. So it wasn't just for Jesus. And then later we get into the book of Acts and we see the church in the book of Acts does the same thing. And even down to today, 
This is, the, uh, this is the purpose of the gospel, is to bring the kingdom of God. It's interesting that Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. One of the tangible signs of the coming of the kingdom of God is the supernatural breaking out uh, around you. In fact, just this week, I heard a, I heard a lovely testimony. I mean, it's an old testimony, but a powerful testimony. I was listening to Chris Vallotton, um preaching, and he spoke about uh, healing that they had in their home. Um, they had a woman move in their home uh, who had been part of a um, satanic cult, and she was pretty, demoni- uh, pretty demonized, pretty scary. They had cast the demons out, and they had started discipling her, but she still had major issues. And, um, but she, she just really loved the Valentin children. And one day, one of the kids cut their hand and was bleeding quite badly. And this girl is kind of freaking, uh, freaking out. And my Chris and uh, Kathy come, and they're washing the, the, the kid's hand under the, under the tap because they're bleeding uh, quite badly. And they go off to get the medical aid kit. And all of a sudden, this girl starts saying, Where's it gone? Where's it gone? Where's it gone? And Chris and Kathy come back, and the, girl's still, uh, the child's still covered with blood, but the cut just healed. Right in front of this person's eyes, they watched, uh, they, they watched the cut, uh, she watched the cut get closed up. And now she was really freaked out because the kid was covered in blood, but there was no hole. So she knew, and she'd seen the thing. Get, you know, when God does these things, we need to realize that, that miracles are abnormal in the world, but normal in the kingdom. This is our inheritance as believers, to believe and to expect for, uh, for the miraculous. And um, even, even here, I'm, I'm sure we could go around uh, this room, we could, we could probably take a couple of hours and just share about miracles and healings and signs and wonders and miraculous events that we have all um, ex- experienced. Um, signs, wonders, miracles, prophetic uh, ministry, you, each of us is called to be a walking encounter. But you know, one of the things that stops us from becoming a walking encounter is we stop expecting. We lose our expectation for the miraculous. We become what my friend Dana McCullum calls a functional cessationist. That we're not cessationist in our th- uh, theology, but functionally we are because actually we stop believing for miracles and we stop looking to see what God would do. Many, many years ago, the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Debbie and I ever saw in our ministry was um, actually long before even Bethel days. We had these three weeks of glorious outpouring in our church in, uh, in Grahamstown. And uh, we started seeing, I mean, it was so powerful. I remember the, uh, the first week I preached a uh, sermon and I uh, called people up um, to give their lives to Jesus and you know, to, uh, to repent. And two-thirds of the church, including all of our leaders just about, came up to give their lives to Jesus. And I can remember being slightly confused. <laughs> These are our leaders and they're giving their life to Jesus. But what had actually happened was the presence of God had come so tangibly in, uh, into the room that everyone was like, okay, I'm going to repent. I'll give my life to Jesus. Everyone just wanted to get close to what was happening. It was, like, it was like the Spirit just moved the whole room. And so I went to start laying hands on people and praying for them. And every person I touched and laid hands on fell down and started laughing. Well, just about every person fell down and started laughing in the Holy Spirit. It was so exciting. I, I was like, no, nothing like this had ever happened before. 
One, uh, one young girl, I can remember laying hands on her. She was the quietest, quietest young woman in, uh, in our church. I laid hands on her and she started vibrating. It's the only way I can describe it. She wasn't shivering. She was vibrating. Anyway, I asked her the next week. I said, hey, what was going on there? She said, Pastor Nigel was the strangest thing. The moment you laid hands on me, I felt the energy of God just going through me and I started to vibrate. And then he took me back into a vision, into my school life. And he took me through incident after incident after incident where um, I would got hurt and he healed me. And you know what the most amazing thing was? After that, she had been quiet and not really involved. After that, she got plugged into our church. She ended up leading a, uh, leading a cell group. And years later, she actually came on staff in our second, uh, second church after she got married. And literally from that day, something changed and shifted in her life. The next week, uh, we had a similar outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But this time, people laughed and cried. Um, I, actually, the first person I laid hands on, I said, Lord, I released the joy. And they fell down and started crying. And I was like, mm, Jesus, which part of joy do you not understand? It's a very short word. And everyone cried that week. The third week, what ended up happening was I laid hands and I, I can't remember what I said because by then I was like, okay, Lord, whatever you want to do. And people laughed and cried. And then I, um, I phoned my pastor, uh, the pastor who was above us back in Cape Town, and I told him what had happened. And his reaction was, listen, that sounds weird. I don't want our churches known for weird stuff like that. If God wants to do that, let Him do it. But you are not to provoke anything like it. You know, something changed in my heart. And I stopped expecting the miraculous. And I stopped stepping out to live a miraculous life. Do you know what happened? That outpouring that had started there stopped. It stopped. And it was another eight years before Debbie and I stepped into another wave of, uh, of presence. And you know, it, it's the same way for each of us. God is longing to use your life miraculously. I really believe that. But, but we disqualify ourselves by we say, well, I'm not spiritual enough, or I don't have enough experience, or I don't have enough the, uh, uh, theology, or, or, you know, I'm, I'm not in the ministry, or, um, you know, I'm not feeling very spiritual today. As if it's about you. The reality is, is you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Wherever you go, Holy Spirit is ready to use you with a life of miracles. So I want to encourage you, expect miracles. You know, people say, Jesus, Nigel, it's, it's amazing. I mean, people have said to me, amazing, you know, everywhere you go, you get a prophetic word for someone in a restaurant or a coffee shop. I mean, how many places have I prophesied over in this year? Probably too many to count. But do you know why? Because when I go into the coffee shop, I start asking the Lord, Lord, have you got something for someone here? And when He gives me something, I take a risk and go and speak to someone. This is the thing. And you know what? I really believe if we want an outpouring in Cape Town, if we want it, that outpouring is you. You're the outpouring. You're the miracle worker. Every place you go is not safe because you walked into it. They're not safe. They are at risk of a miracle. They're at risk of a God encounter. They're at risk of being loved by God. Expect miracles. Expect God's love to break out around you. Expect the presence of God to come. Why? Because God says we are the tabernacle of God. You'll remember the story, and I'm just going to tell the story briefly. In Genesis chapter 28, <laughs> where Jacob was, 
Jacob was fleeing from Laban and he stopped at Bethel and he laid down for the night and he slept. Oh no, to Laban. He was fleeing from he was fleeing from Esau, I mean, yeah. He was fleeing from Esau on his way to Laban. And he stopped in a lay-by on his way to Laban. And um, he went to sleep one night and he slept with his head on a rock. And then he had this dream of heaven opened. And he saw a stairway with angels ascending and de- uh, descending. When he woke up in the morning, he said something really profound. He, he, uh, he said this. He said, God is here and I didn't even know it. This place is the house of God. And so he called the place Bethel, the house of God. Now the amazing thing was there was nothing there. There was no house. There was no house. There was no ta- uh, tabernacle. In that, if that wasn't in... They only had rocks for pillows, so it probably wasn't very successful. So he woke up in the morning, but he sees in the spirit the tabernacle of God. What, what he was doing was looking ahead and prophesying the coming of the Messiah. Because Jesus, later on in the New, in the New Testament, he, um, in John chapter, uh, chapter 1, he applies that scripture when he speaks to Nathaniel, who's sitting under, uh, under the fig tree. And he says, Nathaniel... Um, you will see more miraculous things than this. You will see heaven opened and you will see the, uh, the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So he's pointing to, um, to Jacob's encounter and saying, I'm the one. I'm the tabernacle of God. The angels are ascending and descending on me. And later on, the Bible tells us that we are the tabernacle of God. You know, this is amazing. It means then that the angels are ascending and descending on you. You're the gateway. You're the gateway. You're the do- uh, doorway of the miraculous in, uh, into, uh, into the world. The angels are, are going to the throne of God. Hey, Brandon's got a request, Lord. Yeah, get it done. And he's back down to get it done. Because you prayed, because you stepped up, because you believed that you could release something of God's character and nature uh, into, the, uh, into the world. We are the tab, uh, tabernacle of God. And so in this week, I, I really want to encourage you this week and the weeks ahead. I, in fact, I, I want to encourage us all that this becomes the basic characteristic and nature of this fellowship. That we become people who expect miracles everywhere we go. We expect the presence of God to break out. When a friend, when a friend of yours says, when a friend of yours says, man, man, I've got a headache, pray for them. When someone comes in and they're discouraged, ask the Lord, Lord, do you have a word for them? Give them a supernatural hug. Expect God to move in you. This, this is how we grow in a life of miracles, um, is just by stepping out. I, I can remember when we started on this journey, I, I, I still remember one of my favorite miracles was my wife went out soul winning with a Bethel team and they were going out on the street in East London praying for people. And there was a lady at the bus, uh, at the bus stop. And um, Debbie went, does anyone need any uh, prayer for healing? And this lady was like, no, no, I'm fine. I don't need prayer for healing. Debbie said, are you sure? And then I said, well, actually, I've got this growth on my leg. Do you remember that one, Debs? And she had a bump. Under, uh, under, it was like a golf ball-sized growth on her, uh, on her leg. And Debbie laid hands on this growth and prayed for this lady and felt it disappear under her hand. It just disappeared under her hand. Wow. And Debbie went, I think it's gone. <laughs> and the lady was like, what? 
And she said, I think it's gone. And the lady felt. And the next thing, she hikes up her skirt. She goes, Tini! It was just gone. It was gone. And the amazing thing was, but, but Debbie, if I remember correctly, when you went out, because I can remember, Debs was excited but nervous. She wasn't like feeling particularly anointed and spiritual that day. But this is how a life of miracles begins. Is that you make yourself available to, uh, to God. You know, if your, li- if your life with God seems to have grown a little dull or boring or mundane. Well, you know what? One of the best ways to spice it up is put yourself in a place for where God needs to step through. Step in. And you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? What's the worst thing that can happen? Is they're the same. They're no worse off. But you know what? Perhaps you will give them a teeny moment in their life. Perhaps they will encounter a kiss from God. And you'll have an opportunity to speak in life. I mean, for me, that, that young lady, Jessica, in the coffee shop, she come from a Jewish home. I, I wonder if any Christian has ever had the opportunity to speak to her because I stepped in there and just told her how God feels about her. She felt the love of God. And then I preached the go- uh, gospel to her, gave her our website, said, listen, if you've got any questions, come. And I want to encourage you. Let's, let's live like this. Let's pursue the miraculous because it's our inheritance. It's what the presence of God looks like. We hope you have enjoyed this message from Nigel Desmond.